Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Lance Fegan from Fegan's Restaurant coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Atlas Restaurants, the Baltimore-based hospitality group behind Lock Bar and Uzo Bay in River Oaks District, announced that it is bringing a new Italian restaurant to the Montrose Collective. This is the mixed-use development currently under construction next to Uchi on Lower Westheimer. The details are a little bit light. The company has a different Italian concept in Baltimore. Uh, They emphasize that this will be distinct from that, but it will serve uh, prime steaks, fresh pasta, shareable plates, stuff like that. Mary, let me just throw it to you. You're a uh, Lower Westheimer-based restaurateur. Yes. What do you think about uh, the guys behind Lock Bar bringing an Italian restaurant to your neighborhood? I think Montrose is changing in a lot of ways. Um, This development's really beautiful. It's the first kind of mixed-use development, uh, certainly with this kind of height uh, in, in Montrose. And... As beautiful as I think it is, I think only a corporate chain type of concept is really going to be able to afford to be in it. So I'm not really surprised um, that this restaurant group is entering into Montrose. They've had a lot of success in River Oaks District over the last couple of years, especially during COVID, honestly. Um, And I think them expanding and trying to grab some of Montrose, which to me is the, you know, mecca of food and wine and dining in Houston, at least in my opinion. Um, I'm excited to see what they'll do here. I hope, I hope that they'll tailor it to the neighborhood. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably one of the reasons that they emphasize that, no, it's not going to be exactly the same as the restaurant in Baltimore. I think they want to tweak it a little bit for Houston. You know, I think about a little bit about um, you know, DeMarco has handmade pasta and great steaks, but this is a much bigger, more, well, maybe not more luxurious, but certainly a much larger sort of grander establishment than, um, than DeMarco is, I think. So, you know, it'll be different in scale, certainly if nothing else. I think, yeah, this will be for the masses. Places like DeMarco are still going to be, you know, for that individual tailored local experience. I think there's room for both and, and even more than that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm, I don't think that we've really talked about Uzo Bay or Lock Bar specifically, but I have to say I've been to Lock Bar a few times. I really like it. I think the food is good. I, I mean, I recognize it's expensive, but everything in the Rogues district is expensive, but I think that the quality is really good. The atmosphere is good and, and welcoming and the service is friendly. I, I think it's a, uh, Gatlas has a, a winning team in place too. You know, they've got uh, Scott Salma over there who worked for Tony Vallone for so many years. Yeah, I think you know, they've, they've shown themselves adept at hiring, uh, which is no easy feat in this environment. And I think, you know, they have a recipe for success. They wouldn't enter into paying, you know, I don't know what they're paying, but I, I know what's being marketed price per square foot for this development. And, they wouldn't be entering into this if they weren't very assured of their success. Um, Cause this is, this is going to be an expensive build out and it's going to be an expensive uh, concept to run. So they, they have the confidence to know what they're doing. I, I don't doubt that. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, obviously this isn't opening until sometime in 2022, but uh, any final thoughts on Atlas restaurants in Montrose or should I move on? No, I mean, I love Lock Bar. Between Lock Bar and Uzu Bay, Lock Bar, Lock Bar is more my speed. So I hope um, that they, you know, listen and understand what Montrose is all about and, and tailor it, like I said earlier. But yeah, I'm excited. I think they needed an anchor tenant for this development, and this will certainly get more people on board and excited about it. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. 
Tillman Fertitta is bringing Mastro's Ocean Club to the Woodlands. Uh, we know Mastro's Steakhouse at the Post Oak. It's a very luxurious, uh, very over-the-top steakhouse experience, you know, and I, I had the opportunity to interview Mr. Fertitta. I asked him, you know, what's the difference between Mastro's Steakhouse and Mastro's Oceans Club? And he said, basically, not very much. A couple more <laughs> seafood dishes, but... Um, Still anchored in, you know, great steaks, decadent seafood towers. And, and don't worry, they both have the butter cake. So you're grounded <laughs> there. Uh, I think it, any restaurant in the Woodlands is going to kill it, especially this type of concept. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of steakhouses in the Woodlands. And I sort of asked Tillman about that. And he said, ah, but there's only one Mastro's. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I know it's kind of it's kind of silly, but it's. But it's true. I mean, there's a lot of steakhouses near the Galleria and Mastro's has basically been packed since day one. Um, always very busy, always very lively, always high energy, high dollar. And and I really have no reason to think that it will be uh, any different in the Woodlands. Absolutely. I mean, chains do well in the Woodlands. I, I would like to say that, you know, smaller local restaurants do really, really well, but it's the chains that people want. Um, now that business is coming back online, especially the oil and gas and legal and finance sector in the Woodlands, the expense accounts are going to come out and support this restaurant. Um, I, in general, I think we have too many steakhouses in and around Houston, but Tillman's a good operator. Masters is a good brand this will do incredibly well. No, absolutely. Uh, coming fourth quarter of 2021, it's the, it's the old grotto location on Six Pines Drive for our Woodlands listeners that are wondering exactly where this is going. RIP uh, Grotto in the Woodlands. Welcome, uh, Mastros. Huzzah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and then, Mary, topic number three, briefly, I... There have been a lot, a lot of restaurants opening in the last week or so. I want to kind of blow through these quickly and just get kind of a quick hit reaction from you. Let us start with the Badolina. This is the new uh, bakery from the owners of Doris Metropolitan. Doing, um, you know, anyone who's been to Doris Metropolitan knows, you know, the bread service, the pastries are really exceptional. Uh, this gives the pastry chef, Michal uh, Michelli, kind of a platform to do even more uh, croissants, cookies, um, some, some Jewish and Israeli items like borekas, uh, babka, rugala, in a, in a basically a grab-and-go environment uh, with a few kind of like cafe-style sit-down tables and a coffee program that you can either you know, sit and drink while you're there or take to go. Um, Mary, what do you think? Badalina. I, I'm not going to lie. The bread service at Doris Metropolitan is the best in the city. Like hands down, there's no competition. Just everybody can hang it up. So I am so excited to try this bakery. Um, I love everything that Doris does with their bread service. If that's a glimpse of anything, what this is going to look like, I think it's probably one of the most exciting bakeries for me to open since Common Bond originally opened with Roy. Ooh, high praise. Yeah, I uh, I will say they are open from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. They have not been making that 6 p.m. closing time because this place has been selling out fast. So my only advice to people who want to try it is to go early uh, because otherwise you will miss out. Opening number two, Agnes, the Mediterranean-inspired all-day cafe opened by Bex Prime President Molly Voorhees and her childhood friend and real estate executive Caroline Doros. Uh, think, you know, pastries and coffee in the morning, kebabs, salads, flatbreads at lunch, and then kind of a more formal, not formal, but, but more elevated sit-down dinner service, uh, you know, steak, roast chicken, all that kind of stuff. I don't know, Mary, Agnes, this is uh, this seems like it's right up your alley, to be honest with you. This is kind of right up my alley. I've loved the space when it was Tropicala's. I mean, it's really a beautifully designed space. 
I hope they didn't mess with it too much. They didn't really need to, to be honest. Uh, new um, furniture and better soundproofing are the highlights of the interior renovations. Perfect. So that means they didn't mess with it too much. The location's great. I worry if they do become really popular that there may not be enough parking. Um, there's, you know, there's there's a decent amount of parking in the parking lot. But there's no, there's not a lot of room for spillover parking. So that always worries me. Like there's, they're on a, a very busy street. So you can't side yeah, park. There's a satellite lot on the uh, west side of uh, Shepherd, still on Bissonette. The, uh, um, the, Houstonians yeah. are lazy. So, I mean, well, yes. True story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they like to be able to walk within like half a block. Um, but I'm really excited to try this. I'm glad that there's more of a kind of a full service component uh, to this. So that's exciting for me. The location's really good. There's not a ton of options in this neighborhood unless you go into uh, Rice Village proper. So I think the services you know, between 59 and the village really nicely. And hopefully the neighborhood uh, embraces it well. And if they do, they will be very successful. Right. Absolutely. One other component of Agnes that I, I should mention just briefly is they do have like a, a retail area, um, wines, cheeses, charcuterie, pasta, sauces. You know, if you are having a dinner party and you need snacks, you can get that there. If you just want like something simple to heat up for dinner, you could get that there. And then they have like little sort of gift boxes for hostess presents, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's pretty comprehensive. Yeah. And I'm honestly, people from the pandemic in my personal experience with Avondale is that if you offer people the ability to stop in, pick up some wine, maybe pick up some pastries or some pasta or a gift, like a candle or things like that, people will come more frequently and you'll be their go-to for, for gifts. Um, and I think this neighborhood is in need of something like that. I don't think there's anything quite like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it out for sure. All right. And then uh, new restaurant number three, Homestead, the all day breakfast concept in the MKT development on Shepherd, just North of I-10. Uh, basically, it's a very eclectic menu that's sort of influenced by uh, Mexican and South American flavors, uh, Cajun, and then sort of classic American. So you can get uh, a harache with queso fresco on it and uh, refried beans. You could get fajitas. You could get enchiladas. You could also get pancakes and bacon, you know, breakfast tacos, the, you know, the whole thing. What do you think? Uh, let's see. Let's see. I want to taste it. I want to, I want to go in person and try this with you, but I'm excited about the number of places that are opening in Houston right now. And I can never have too much of something like this. So uh, <laughs> I, I need a good breakfast spot, even though I'm not up terribly early. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the ability for you to get breakfast. Well, they're open. Currently they're open from I think 7 30 AM to 3 PM. So uh, Perfect. Noon to for, three. My time right. The ability for you to get pancakes <laughs> at one o'clock in the afternoon, I think, is uh, suits you just fine. <laughs> you are not incorrect. <laughs> um, and then finally, Shoku Ramen. This is the Vegas-based ramen restaurant that replaced BCK in the Heights. Um, they are known for their kind of anime-themed decor. Uh, they serve this like crazy spicy ramen that if you finish it in a certain amount of time, you get it for free. Um, they also have a whole build your own component that I think is really interesting. Uh, I don't know, Mary, I mean, ramen, new, more ramen. I mean, there's a lot of ramen in the Heights right now because there's rock and ramen at MKT. There's junior ramen at Heights Waterworks. There's samurai ramen just on the other side of I-10. And of course there's ninja ramen, that beloved industry hangout. But uh, I don't know, shoku ramen, what do you think? Uh, you know, I feel like I am definitely in my mid to late thirties. So I don't understand anime maybe as much as the younger kids do, but you and I both frequent Chinatown quite a bit. And I was in the shopping center where Aqua um, ice cream, whatever soft serve is. And yes, there was Aqua an Aqua And there was an anime kind of not convention, but 
thing going on outside a few weekends ago and there was a line wrapped around the block. So I don't pretend to understand this trend, but I know that it's real. And I know there's a lot of people out there that enjoy this type of thing. So, you know, I always welcome uh, the addition of more uh, ramen, but I do do have my favorites. So I'll be interested into in seeing uh, how this is. Kata is kind of my gold standard for ramen. So I will be weighing it up against that. Yes. No, I think the one thing is right now, Shoku is only open for dinner. They will add lunch service soonish, but the Vegas location is open 24 hours a day. And they aspire to that here in Houston. We'll see a, if they actually do it and B how long it lasts, but sure. You know, I, I am sort of intrigued by the idea. Any anytime there's a new 24 hour restaurant, I'm always sort of curious about that because they are. I mean, listen, Katz's Katz's is not, you know, comparable, obviously, but Katz's is busier than it has ever been right now on Westheimer. So 24 hour concepts can and do work. Absolutely. All right. Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Mary, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Le Jardinet. And one of the reasons that I sort of sped through the news is because this is a really exceptional restaurant. And it comes to Houston via New York and Miami. A New York location holds a Michelin star. It is at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston in the Kinder Building, a really spectacular setting. Um, you know, you are kind of my go-to on French restaurants. Your business partner is a French chef. You travel to France. You eat at some of the best French restaurants. <laughs> Easy for me to say. You eat at some of the best <laughs> French restaurants in New York uh, when you go to New York. So I say all of that to say to you, what did you think of Le Jardinet? Okay, I'm going to start off. I'm going to put the lawyer hat on for a second. The pros and cons. It is a stunning space. It's very pretty. Um, it They're definitely riffing and trying to um, go after the modern at MoMA, in my opinion. Uh, the modern is a restaurant located on the first floor of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. It's a place that I often go to when I am in New York. Um, it has a bar lounge area that's more casual and then it has its restaurant which is a more formal tasting menu only uh, type of concept that overlooks their vast sculpture garden and I definitely see what they're trying to do with that Gary Tenereau is the director of the Museum of Fine Arts he hails from New York and from the Metropolitan Museum of Art and obviously has an affinity for all things New York and French. Um, so I'll start, I'll start with that. The, the chef was lovely. It was great to meet him, a constant French chef professional, uh, installing his flavors and cuisine and style here in Houston, I think is welcome. Uh, the plating, the, they spared no expense. The plating, the glassware, the tables, the chairs, the lighting, the tapestry from a local artist on the wall, wall is one of the only uh, pieces of art in there. It's fairly devoid of art, uh, which is in some ways nice. In other ways, I wish we would have had more art within, within the restaurant. Um, I do, my heart kind of breaks that we don't have a Houston chef representing us in the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. 90% uh, of the visitors that go to the Museum of Fine Arts are from in and around the Houston area and almost exclusively all of the $450 million raised for this new building came from Houston. So we have lots of amazing chefs here in Houston, uh, but I think the chef is doing doing a very good job of representing French food here. Uh, it reminds me, I've had a, a variation of this meal dozens, if not hundreds of times. Um, 
throughout France and New York. So he's he's not taking a lot of risks, but he's executing it very well with beautiful ingredients. You know, and I I do want to kind of turn to the food because I, I do think that that is kind of what grounds the experience for people. It was an interesting blending of a couple of Gulf Coast kind of driven dishes and then, you know, dishes that obviously he probably serves at both of his other locations, right? So there was a, a Gulf Crudo that kind of started us uh, and there was Texas Wagyu beef as kind of the entree. Um, and in between there was white asparagus from France, really beautiful seared scallops from Maine and this uh, absolutely stunning dessert with the, uh, the yuzu mousse and the uh, puff pastry butterfly, you know, all on that five course tasting menu, 125 bucks. Um, I haven't said it explicitly, but we were the guest of the restaurant. We, uh, we did not pay for the meal. We left a generous tip. Um, turning to the food. I mean, I, I was I was surprised at how well executed it was, given that we went on uh, nominally opening night. I mean, I know they'd been practicing, but but still, kind of their first their first night of just being open to the to the public. There were no mistakes on the food. I mean, everything was well executed. Uh, the plating was beautiful. The ingredients were good. I was a little confused about why they definitely incorporated native Texas ingredients like the Wagyu that we had, but we don't need to import white French asparagus. I mean, we've got great ingredients from Urban Harvest Farmers Market and so many of our local farmers. So, you know, we've got like Houston's got it going on in terms of our farm. So I'd like to see a little bit more of, of Texas, Texas ingredients, but every dish was cooked to perfection. There were no mistakes on the plate. And um, I will ask you about the wine list just briefly, because it's obviously still kind of a work in progress. Yeah, it, it's a work in progress. I think there's approximately 60 ish wines on the list. It was about two and a half page uh, wine list. They definitely, I like uh, the sommelier that they have here. He came, he came from uh, Catacol, I believe uh, from the Hugo restaurant group. And um, he, he's doing a good job, but, he said, as you previously stated, that they are in the early stages of their wine list. I do th think that they need to get a broader uh, list that uh, focuses on some smaller producers, not just the big names. And um, since this restaurant, I, from my understanding, is subsidized by the museum, I do think that the pricing needs to be a little bit more online with what's going on um, in the city in terms of our wine scene right now. Um, the, you stated in your article, the Veuve Clicquot yellow label is 154 bucks. I believe that's a, that's a seven times markup. So they're going to get called out for that if they keep that up, but I'm sure, and I will give them the benefit of the doubt that they will make adjustments to both pricing and the depth of the list. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm going to say there's not really a French restaurant in Houston kind of serving this kind of elevated fare, uh, certainly not with this kind of setting. Uh, I certainly look forward to going back and trying some of the a la carte items. I, and I think that's important for people to understand is you don't have to just do the tasting menu. Um, I've encouraged some of my friends that wanted to check it out to dip their toes in by going to the bar, having one of their cocktails. I very much enjoyed their cocktail program and maybe a glass of wine and a couple of appetizers and maybe an entree just as a foray into it without having to take on the expense of a, of a full tasting menu. But I think people will be able to enjoy this several different ways. And I hope that the bar and lounge uh, gets an equal amount of attention for people that maybe aren't willing to spring for the full uh, tasting menu in the main dining room. Right. No, because it is a really beautiful space and it does deserve to be Enjoy it. And I know you sort of observed that there's not that much art on the walls other than this huge, uh, very dramatic tapestry. But of course, one of the walls is just windows that looks out onto the sculpture garden. So you have that whole view as kind of a complement to what's going on inside. I think that, you know, you're correct. There is no French restaurant like this in the city. I mean, maybe La Table, maybe. Uh, I think this is more elevated than that. But I kind of put this on par with March right now in terms of 
setting and tasting menu experience and what what this concept is trying to go for as far as tasting menus. I think this and March are kind of the two in town right now. Well, yeah, I mean, I think March is considerably more ambitious in its sort of scale and, and what it's trying to accomplish, but certainly in its, its use of local ingredients, you know, March is, is much more, uh, much more ambitious, but, but yes, I think, you know, this is a, a moment of elevated intimate dining experiences and Le Jardinet is definitely um, in line with those trends. Yeah. If somebody is looking for a special occasion place for an anniversary or birthday engagement, that type of thing, I think, I think this will fit the bill for that. Absolutely. All right, Mary, that does it for our restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Before we let you go, do you have uh, anything going on at Avondale Food and Wine? I sure do. Uh, This coming Wednesday, I have John Grishow from Oregon. We're going to be tasting through eight of his wines, some Pinots, some Shards, and some Gamay. And then Friday, we have Donald Patz from California. He's very well known for his Cobbs, Pinots, uh, Rhone Blends, and Chardonnays. So both of those are six to eight, Wednesday and Friday. Um, More details will be available on our Instagram and website, but excited to have the return of winemakers in the past couple of weeks. It's starting to feel normal and I'm really happy to be able to see some of the people I love so much in our community. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I'll be right back with Lance Fegan. I'm joined this week by Lance Fegan. He is the chef behind the recently opened Fegan's Restaurant in the Heights. Lance, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm wonderful, Eric. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Let's kind of start with Fegan's because people may recognize your name. You know, they know you from Glass Wall. They know you from Liberty Kitchen. Um, they go way back. They know you from Zula. Um, just maybe talk about kind of the idea of Fegan's and why it seemed like the right next thing for you, um, after you and your partner sold, uh, the other two Liberty Kitchen locations last year. It's a, it's a great question. It seems simple, but it's so complex, um, because there's a lot of, of my personal stuff in there. Um, so the shorter version of that story is, I, you know, I wasn't even sure after we sold, um, Liberty that I really wanted to come back. I thought I had reached the point where I was ready to sort of put my career aside and I have other things that I've been working on. And, um, you know, I love my partners to death and they just were, they had this right like tone with me through the course of my doubts of whether I wanted to keep going or not. And they just sort of embraced you know, all of my, my stuff that was going on. And, and it just became clear to me with time and patience that, um, well, that in the part where they said, Hey, can we put your name on the building? And I was like, Oh, (laughs) um, I'm in it now. I'm really in it. Um, but then I just had to change my perspective and that comes a little bit from my spiritual side. I changed the perspective and looked at it in a different way. Um, not strictly as a restaurant. And I don't know if that is maybe too deep, but I looked at this as one of maybe my last opportunity to really make a, a significant difference uh, in the restaurant community. Not so much about my name. Um, just for the record, the name is up there. Yes, I, I have maybe a little bit of, you know, recognition in the city over 30 years, 20, 29 years. Um, but that's not what this restaurant's about. It's a little deeper than that for me. Yeah, I... I mean, I think it's kind of an interesting menu because I don't, you know, so much of it is Italian, you know, there's pasta, there's pizza, there's meatball appetizer. And I don't really think of that as typically being your food. So maybe how did you sort of get to that point? And, and is that kind of what you're talking about when you mean it, it's a little deeper than, yeah. than just your name? It's a piece of it. Uh, certainly um, one, one of the parts uh, that we've, you know, we, we sort of know that market pretty well. We 
glass wall. I've been there since 2005. We opened, you know, Liberty, I think 2010. I, sw- I sort of know the neighborhood pretty well. And I think that's one of the reasons why we kept that restaurant specifically, even though we had no plans or intentions at that point. Uh, but, I, you know, Eric, I think at my age, like my, my brain has developed and, and my personality has developed and I've changed into something different from my old self. And I just keep reflecting about, you know, my past. And I reflected about um, what was good in my life uh, professionally and, and in my family. And one of, the, one of the things that was most important to me developing me was the food in my life, you know, from my mother, my, even my father's side of the family, the vegan side and then the Rego side it's pretty deep for me. Like I, it's been a part of my life since I was like three years old. Like I remember cooking at a really young age. And so it's not a homage to like my parents or any of that, but it seemed to be honest, authentic, genuine. And I feel like the neighborhood needed something like that. Not, not implying that there's not authentic or genuine restaurants in the Heights, but the way I'm seeing that, that community grow into these, younger families with kids. I just thought it was sort sort of come back full circle, if that makes any sense. No, it does. I, I mean, you know, I, it's a funny sort of thing because, you know, I, I came for dinner with my mother on a night when she just looked at me and was like, I just want American food. You know, I don't want Chinese. I don't want Tex-Mex. I don't want, I just want American food. And I was like, I know just the place, like just the place I've been wanting to try. And, and I do think that there is something about um, kind of your menu and your perspective that, that really is like sort of like fundamentally like classic American cuisine, which, you know, means that like I got fried shrimp and grilled shrimp and she got linguine with clam sauce. And we, it was like exactly what we wanted on that particular. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can't say any better, you know, and I, and I think that's the, one of the, one of the, key parts i think what i learned about my family's cooking and and their heritage coming over from the mediterranean was um they took you know all the all of the traditional sicilian and calabrian style dishes but they sort of put the american piece into that isn't that the beauty of our cuisine like the nuance of like new jersey there's new jersey in that food and and i've met many people in that dining room that say the exact same words to me there's Jersey in this food. Yeah, no, I, I, I was thinking a little bit about how, like, um, you know, how uh, uh, Phil, ah, uh, uh, shoot, the golfer. Why, why can't I think of his name? Mickelson. Yeah, right. Yeah. Phil Mickelson just won the Masters. Yeah. Helio Castroneves just won, uh, just won the Indy 500. Like, you know, those guys are kind of around your age. You just opened up a new restaurant. It's like. Uh, you know, I think to a certain extent, it's like, you know, the old guy still got it. <laughs> um, I hope I, yeah, I just, I, I hope, I, and I think like even Phil and, and any, anybody our age, I think maybe we're a little bit smarter in our jobs and, and we're, we're maybe just a little bit more refined, but I think we just bring a different tone. You know what I mean? The, I, there's just a different tone about that place. Like I love, I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't always love walking into Liberty Kitchen. It became a monster, and it got out of hand. It, it got out of hand personally and professionally. And when I walk into Fegans, I, I feel relieved that we have this really nice little place, um, and we've got a culture that's really developing nicely. And the food is simple, and it's easy to sort of understand. And I just watch the dining room now. You know, I'm up on Friday and Saturday nights. I'm shucking oysters up on the bar. And I'm just watching the floor, like, and I can see every human in the building. I see every table. And what I'm seeing is this sort of close knit camaraderie between the tables. I see people talking. They're not on their phones. You know what I mean? And it reminds me of the places I used to hang out in, in New Jersey and in New York, those smaller neighborhood joints where sort of everybody knew each other. And I love it about that because now I love being in my restaurants and I think isn't that the goal of any chef if it's not it should be yeah I, I you know the the passive revisions guys used to say like you know we wanted to make the restaurant where if it wasn't our place we'd want to hang out at the bar yeah and I think you know you've kind of got that going on yeah. 
I mean, my sense is, uh, I, I mean, let me just ask you, like, how's it going? I mean, because my, my sense is that people are finding you. Yes. I, I've been, like, overwhelmed with the the positivity of it. I, um, the numbers, you know, from a business standpoint, the numbers look good. Like, I'm really pleased and the partnership's pleased. My vendors are pleased. The bank's pleased. You know, all those things, they're, they're pleased. And that's in a short period of time, but we, we still have some work to do. But, but in overall, like big, building lunch now has been the sort of the new push the last couple of weeks and building brunch. Um, we're getting creative in some ways. We're, we're having to be a little creative with how we're getting staff, um, certainly. And, and we haven't really pushed any buttons with marketing or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm just letting it occur naturally without forcing too much. But in, to answer your question, I think it's going quite well. And we just it's right. Like we got it just about right, right now. And maybe I think, you know, some of that just sort of reflects like, as you were saying, sort of where you are in your career, you know, you're not the young guy anymore. You don't have to like jump up and down on the rooftops. It's, it's maybe enough to just like make really solid, really well executed food. People enjoy Yes, and kind of, you know, you don't have to worry about some of the other stuff anymore. Yeah. And I, you know, like Charles sent me Clark, you know, we, we are, we're close, you know, we don't hang out, but we're close. Right. And he, he sent me just a really lovely text the other night, a friend of his sent him something and he just said it was just really good. Like, you know, when, when, when a friend of Charles tells Charles that it's just really good. And then Charles tells you back, like that means something to me, you know, that's, that's better than any review I've ever read. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, how do you sort of, I mean, cause you have been in the Heights for such a long time. I mean, how has it sort of changed over the years? Well, you know, it went from shade and, and me following, you know, Claire in there and th- there was nothing right. And, and now, um, I mean, I could see, you know, a few years ago when Liberty kitchen started, you know, ticking down a bit, um, we didn't have two hour waits anymore. Um, the, the neighborhoods changed, I think with the dynamics of, you know, the, the price of the homes going in there, they're getting up there. Um, the school system is, is getting better, putting some money back into the schools and then, but there's just so much more stuff there. And the, the challenge I think for everybody in there in the Heights is how do you stay true to yourself and still make a profit when everything's sort of getting out of hand? I, I, I know there's, there's three pizza places like within a block of each other. And I, like, I, I thought that was a problem with the real estate guys, just not paying attention. Um, but, but also now I'm in, I'm in the Heights a little bit more, even though I live in Galveston. Um, I've noticed there are just, there's just so many human beings in Heights and that wasn't always the case. And I think on top of that, I think people are actually funneling in a little bit where that wasn't always the case either. I think when I first started in there back in 2005, we, we were having some people funnel in from maybe just outside the Heights because the Heights had not grown up yet. And now the Heights is pretty grown up. So everybody's in there, but I'm still seeing, you know, I see some of my old River Oaks crowd coming in to the Heights, which is very, I mean, I'm, that's very strange to me. You know, my, my old crews from, Liberty Kitchen at San Felipe, like I'm noticing them in, I'm like, wow, that's a, you know, that's a shift for them too. Yeah. Because in the old days, people wouldn't cross the bayou, right? Like that was just, yes, you know, quote unquote too far. Yeah. Um, but again, it's still a challenge, you know, and, and I thought maybe after this, after all this pandemic, like it would, it would, it would like sort of smooth out and even out. No, people still open and stuff. <laughs> oh, faster yeah. than. Yeah. Faster than you can believe. I mean, you know, we were just, I'm one of them. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking in the first half of the show, uh, you know, I think it's like four new places just last week that opened up for the first time. So yeah, it's intense right now. It is. You, you mentioned it. You're, you're living in Galveston these days. How's that going? I love it down here. Um, I've already missed it the last couple of months just because I've been up there in town, but I've, I've, change some living arrangements where I, I get a hotel up there a couple nights a week. And so, but, but, you know, Galveston, I mean, there's a little hidden story there, Eric, you know, I moved to Galveston 
several years ago to live on an island. So, so no one would know what I was doing down here. No one really knew me. I mean, I can't say that now. Everybody knows me. Some good, some bad. But um, I, I found a place where I could sort of hide and get out of myself and all that stuff that I was dealing with in Houston. Um, and so, but, but over the last couple of years, it shifted into really respecting my time, my personal time. I, I swim in the ocean almost every morning. I do two to four miles, regardless of the currents, regardless of the sea conditions. I surf as much as I can. Uh, you know, I've got some really strong island relationships here with some of the restaurateurs. Um, and it's a place of solitude, a place I can sort of refresh um, even after, a, you know, a, a 70 hour work week. I mean, do you, you aspire to open anything down there? Or is this just like a refuge? It's refuge. Um, I, you know, Dennis bird from the spot and Mike Dean, those guys, like when I talk to them about restaurants, they just, they just shake their head. No, like, don't do it. <laughs> it's too, it's too seasonal. I think Mike, Mike loves me. He's like, don't do it, man. Um, it's just too seasonal. And then, you know, Mike said something to me one time. He said, Lance, I think you're one of the few chefs I know that take it personally. And uh, like when people, Will and my partner, Will Davis, we talk about business and, you know, that saying it's not business, it's not personal, it's business. Well, it is, it's business, it's personal to us. Like our business is personal to us and, and not in a, in a nasty way, in a, in a loving, kind way. And Mike said, he said, you take it so personally, Lance, you're going to be here all the time. Right. And your staff is going to wear you out because it's seasonal and they're young. He said, it'll take a toll on you. And so, like I said, I, I have a wonderful relationships with guys that, that keep my ego in check. Right. And so really, I just love coming down here and living here, but, you know, helping those guys when I can, giving them a little bit of our intuition from, from downtown. I help them with menus from time to time. Um, and there's no, nothing but hugs from it. There's no checks being cash or any of that stuff. It's really a lovely little Island relationship I have down here with these guys. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really positive. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe just talk a little bit about your goals for Fegans over the next, like three to six months. I mean, I know you guys just started lunch and brunch. How do you kind of want to see it evolve? Well, you know, I, I mentioned, I've got a lot of stuff going on and, and I, I really want the culture and the product and the service there to be reflective of, you know, my past learnings. And, but I want to give these guys like Matt and Juan and Thomas, the, the leadership in the building. Now I want to give them an opportunity to run this place without as much of my sort of presence there. And I don't mean to scare anybody like Lance is never going to be there. I, I want to make sure it's critical that I enjoy walking into that building, even if it's shucking on a Saturday night or just coming in and have dinner with, you know, a couple of friends, either way, I want to enjoy the whole process. And then, you know, I'm doing this culinary directorship at a, at a drug and alcohol rehab up in round top, Texas. And I've got this other business of recovery, life coaching, professional coaching, and my school studies at, at South Dakota for psychiatry, psychology, and so I have a lot of stuff going on, right? And all of these are sort of motivators for me to keep focused on vegans, to keep focused on this culinary director's job. And I need to trust a lot more people. And I didn't used to do that in my past. I didn't trust people to do their jobs. You know, it was my way or the highway. And so the next three or four months, I think what you're going to find is I'm going to be there a lot, just like I am now. And I'm just going to teach the culture. Like Juan knows what I want in the kitchen, right? And, and Matt knows what I want in the front. And now it's just about, let's have, let's be good to our staff. Let's be good to our, our personnel. Let's be good to the vendors. Let's be good to our customers and then just let it be what it is. And I, and I think this, the, the town, the neighborhood of the Heights will really ultimately decide what Fegans needs to be. No, for sure. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad you, you brought up the, um, your, your work on this psychology degree, what are you studying? What aspect of psychology are you studying and kind of what, what motivated you to, to take that new path? So this at South Dakota, they have a really strong fundamental specific on um, psychology and addiction counseling and prevention. And that is my focus. 
um, you know, that, that comes straight up from my past. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like I had a really, really hard time managing my life, my profession, my family. And I found a way to do that. And that was uh, drinking, you know, my little island down here. And that caused a lot of problems. You know, uh, my FJ cruiser, I would drive to Mexico every couple of months and then move down there. And, you know, when you drive your FJ cruiser off a cliff in Mexico and land in a river a hundred feet down and survive, you start to think about maybe checking yourself a little bit and a couple other incidents that happened. And so I, I, what occurred to me during that whole process is I thought I had it, Eric, I thought I had all of it. Like I got it. I figure it out. But I realized at some point I couldn't find a pathway to get help. And I think once I started getting some help, it made some sense to start finding some other pathways. And I have these wonderful partner, Will Davis, who owns Ethos Behavioral. He got me in to see a guy. And that guy has been like the best thing I've ever had in my life as far as a professional and a life saver. And it influenced me. He says, you, you have the power to help people, plants. And when I put those two together saying, you know, how, how difficult this industry is. I love this industry. I'm not knocking this industry, but I've seen it's worst and I've seen it hurt a lot of people. And I hurt a lot of people. I don't think physically, but I think I, I was, I manipulated in a way. And I think I was overly aggressive and um, I demanded, and I, and I think I hurt people emotionally and, and spiritually. And it was time for me to sort of stop all that. And so it's all sort of come together as this piece where my culinary directorship, for example, at the recovery center, I'm not just telling them how to cook meals. Like we're having cooking classes and we're talking about how food can be a healing piece to your recovery, both with drug and alcohol, but also through spiritual recovery. And so it's been a really nice thing for me, Eric, because it keeps me really grounded, even in the worst of what we experience in the restaurant industry. I think you can still maintain a really good balance. And so uh, I've been just blessed with the whole process and I'm glad it all happened. Like I apologize to people that I heard along the way, you know, but maybe I wouldn't gotten to the level I had gotten if I wasn't, you know, the type A guy or I didn't intimidate people. Maybe. I don't know. But I know one thing, Eric, I committed this to my family and to my kids. I'm going to stop the cycle within my family. And I want to stop the cycle moving downwards with my cooks, my sous chefs, my managers, and my servers. Like I'm going to stop the cycle of what happens, I think, in this restaurant industry a lot. And it starts with me and it starts today. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is like a whole sort of reckoning that's taking place in the restaurant industry, certainly nationally where, you know, the old ways of, you know, screaming at people or throwing pans or whatever, just it's not acceptable anymore. And nope. there's a better way to reach people and motivate people. And, and I, I think it's terrific that you're, you're kind of signing on all that and, and making that a part of your, not just like, the way that you operate, but the way that you train people to operate so that it perpetuates into the, the next generation of operators. Yeah. That's cycling is a, is a, a huge factor in, in all, all this area. And, and you mentioned things like, you know, just the behaviors of us chefs um, in negative context, but just put positive context into potential behaviors that we can do to really mold young people. Like, you know, there's a, there's a, a new, you know, like these young kids, they're cooking. They're just not capable of doing what we're doing when we're 35 or 40 years old. They're not mentally capable, right? We put all this pressure and stuff on them. So we have to start treating them kinder in many ways. And, and above that, also teaching them the right way, you know, and stopping that cycle. Yeah. And I, I know I got a, a note that you're now a certified professional coach and a certified professional recovery coach. Yes. What does that mean? Like, what is, how does that manifest itself? Well, you know, the how, clients, what are you coaching people? Sorry. Uh, I, well, you know, I, I've, I, you know, not, I study 
been studying Buddhism now for quite a while and I actually follow the rules. That was one of the changes I had to make in my recovery was to start following my spiritual path. Um, I, I used a lot of uh, the things that I learned through my recovery and I realized how important it is to have structure and support around you. And then even in life, like we just get off track, right? We have marriages and kids and, and long hours and we just lose track of ourselves and we get in this sort of rut and I found some pathways out of it. And so all the studying I've done over the years, the clients that I work with right now, basically they do all the work. I just help bring that out of them. There, there's some fear. Like we all have these fears and we're just afraid to go for our dreams, right? And so I'm, I help them work through that a bit. And then the recovery is a little different piece. Like I've got to be a little bit more disciplined in, in how we approach recovery from drugs and alcohol, but everybody has sort of some baggage to deal with. And that's where I help them. Um, and then a couple of the clients, actually, I, we have this combination of where I help them with some wellness, um, meditation, some Buddhist spiritual stuff. And it ends up actually flowing into their work. And so I've got one, one or two clients where I'm using the same sort of techniques to influence how they're running their restaurants, if that makes any sense. So I didn't even have that as an idea, as a coaching idea, but bringing in this part into their restaurants, knowing that I can speak the same language has actually been pretty productive for their companies. So how do people sort of find you? Are they looking for like a consultant or, or. Yeah, they, you know what, with me, I, I have a website. It's uh, Lance Vegan coach, Lance Vegan coaching, uh, com, And they're just going to find me and we're going to talk. And that's it. Like, we're going to talk for a little while and we're going to figure out what it is, what's going on. And then I'll see if I can help them, you know, and if I can't, I, I know some other people that can, um, I just, you know, I have an ideal client and the ideal client is one that sits across from me and we get along rather quickly and we have this sort of rapport. And then I know like they're going to get my best. Like my kids get my best. Now my ex-wife gets my best. Um, people in my life get my best and my clients get my best. And that's sort of how I mentor them. Like how I show up is how they're going to hopefully show up in the, down the, down the road for themselves and their, and then their personal relationships. Is there like one success story that you're particularly proud of that you can share? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, putting myself aside from that, I, I, I do put myself as a success story. I'm really proud of the work that I did to get to this place. Uh, one of my clients just was at the edge um, they had tried rehab 17, 16 or 17 times. I can't even tell you what the math financially of that number is, but it's gigantic. And he said, I, I got nowhere else to go. I was like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but he had heard me, he had heard me one time do a meditation and, uh, he said, can I just try that? And I said, well, this won't solve it, but if we work on this, we, we will, we'll make a step forward. And all him and I ever did for months was meditate. We didn't talk. You know, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinical therapist yet. So we just meditated and that meditation every day, either through the phone or sending him, you know, video or, or some taped stuff. Um, in about 90 days, um, we met again. Now I didn't even recognize the man and he, said, I have a, a new will to live now. Like he was drinking himself into the grave. And every time I heard from him, I thought, well, this will be the last time. Um, so again, the power of just me being there and what he told me was, he said, the meditation and how you taught me to meditate was really critical. He said, but you just were there. You didn't judge me. You didn't try to make me do things I didn't want to do. You just sat there and listened and, and I think that's what the kind of support that some people just need, right? And now our relationship's different. It's a totally different relationship. I don't charge him for anything. And we've become very close friends out of that. And I've taught him to surf. Um, I've taught him how to cook uh, sort of healthier. And, and I've taught him a couple other life skills that he just didn't have when he was, he was 26 years old. I think he was about 26. 
And I just saw him. I just saw me and him and I immediately connected. So I think that's my biggest success story at this point. My other clients have done great stuff and they do amazing work. And at the end of the day, I told, I told them like, Hey, you did all this. I didn't do anything. And that's what our job is as a good coach. They do all the heavy lifting. No, absolutely. Um, so you're working on an undergraduate degree. When do you, when do you expect to graduate? I've got two years left on that. And then Robert, uh, the own, one of the other owners at the, uh, the Prairie, we're really driving on this cookbook thing. And he's really driving me to be a little bit more clinical and how we're approaching the food out there. And so I, I got two years of spending a lot of time in that environment to try to get that really built up and then just keep my clients in the sort of coaching stuff maintain so I can still have a life and all these other things. But after that, I don't know, I, you know, Robert's saying, Hey, you need to keep going Lance. You need to get your master's. You need to go get your PhD. And I got to tell you with school at this stage of my life, like who needs it? I need it. I realized I should have been doing this stuff a long time ago, but now I'm ready for it. Like I'm mentally ready for all those things. So um, in two years, who knows, man, um, I, I got, plans so many plans to take another hour to talk to you about it but right now these are my focuses I, I mean I'll tell you I, as someone who got like kind of fell off the wagon as an undergraduate in my 20s and didn't get my degree until I turned 34 like I get it you know when you when it all kind of clicks in and you finally understand what the work is for and what you're trying to achieve it's just so much easier to like buckle yeah. down and do the work uh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm finding, I'm finding this all tie in perfectly is there's context, right? Like I've got context in my restaurants of how to treat people. I've got context in the classroom and how I'm writing papers. I'm sitting in a, in a facility with people struggling with drug and alcohol. I'm getting all these contexts, right? That's how you build like emotional intelligence. That's how you build like a business that, that makes a lot of sense. That's not about the numbers. It's about delivering this like awesome product. And the product I want to sell is like, Hey, let's just be better human beings. And I know a way to get there and I'm going to help you get there. Well, I got to say that seems like a reasonably good stopping point, unless there's something uh, you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked you about. No, they were great. Eric, I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought up the, the, you know, how, where we got to this place. Cause you know, that that's, um, I don't hide that stuff anymore. It's, I think it's important that people know that there's people struggling and you can, you can find a pathway through it. I mean, vegans, I I was so happy to see you that day. And, you know, like vegans is going to be a great restaurant and people can get information on us at vegans.com and, uh, on Instagram it's at vegans Houston. But, um, no, I think that's it, man. I, I really appreciate the opportunity you gave me, Eric, and to share how I'm feeling. Well, before I let you go, we're going we're gonna to end on a lighter note. Okay. We, we have something I call the lightning round. It's five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Got it. All right. Lance Vegan, what is your favorite ingredient? Uh, barrel-aged soy sauce. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? sublime what is your fast food guilty pleasure it has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru uh, animal style in and out <laughs> who is your favorite houston sports figure past or present that's two brian wiseman and cam stewart they were the arrows uh they're from the arrows hockey team i think the, you may be in 196 episodes that may be our first arrow yes first they're still my closest friends i love those guys and then finally, when you go to a pizzeria, what are your go-to toppings? Uh, fresh oregano, jalapenos, and anchovies. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. I know you just mentioned the website, but give it to us one more time. Uh, Fegans.com. That's F-E-G-E-N-S.com. And then Instagram is uh, at Fegans Houston. And uh, love to have you in. Come check us out. All right, Lance. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Eric. Be good. Follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.